So today, we continue in this series, Did Jesus Really Say? And we're entertaining some of the things that Jesus said that tend on first glance to run against the grain of what seems so natural to us. It's part of an intention that I have, at least, to make sure that we're very diligent to make sure that we're not just following our own hearts, to make sure that we're not just assuming that whatever we happen to feel and think is just right and true and therefore to be obeyed. But instead, Jesus says that listening to his words is like building your house on an indestructible set of concrete footers that nothing can destroy. So that's what we're looking at. And Jesus gives us a story about something that's rather indigenous to every single human heart. It's the native grass of most of our hearts when we find ourselves wronged by someone else. It's a story that I'll demonstrate by a prank call that I used to like when I was a a college counselor at a camp. And like all camp counselors and all college students, I only used my time well. And so after the kids were in bed and we were in this spend-the-night camp, some of the guys, we would, we would listen for usually only a short six minutes, and then we would stop and go great, straight to devotionals. No. We would probably just listen and listen and listen to these prank calls that gave us great pleasure. And one, these Roy D. Mercer prank calls went something like this, and I'm going to Abridge it, and I'm also going to censor it, which takes away some of the fun, but we are in church. And one particular call, this man calls up, and a fella answers, good old boy answers, and says, Say and say. And the caller says, Is this say and say up on the highway? And the man who answered the phone cleverly responds, All day long, buddy. Our caller Gets a kick out of this and goes, <laughs> well, I'm Roy Mullins, and I, I bought a dang wheel rim off you here a while back, about eight months ago, and, well, dang thing must have been bent because I got a new tire, and the tire's done wore plumb out. And so I'm reckoning now that I'm going to need a new rim, and I'm going to need a new tire, and possibly a new alignment, and I just wanted to call y'alls up and uh, let yous know about it. Well, the old boy at CNC up on the highway said, well, what do you want me to do about it? He said, I want you to pay. That's what I want you to do. And he says, bull malarkey. (laughs) And the man responds, well, heck fire. I want you to pay for my new tire, my new rim, and my new alignment. And he says, I ain't going to pay. He said, well, someone's got to pay. And it ain't going to be me. And as time progresses, these men get more and more violent with each other. They're, they're bowing up over the phone. Their language becomes more crass. And at, the, at some point, the man says, the man who's initiated the call, he says, you that skinny son of, son of gun I bought it off of? He says, I just might be, buddy. He says, well, then you're the one who's going to have to pay whether by hide or by currency, somebody was going to have to pay. 
It's a funny video. Don't have, it's not a video. It's an audio. Don't let your kids listen. Okay. What you see there in this rather hilarious situation where all sorts of threats are made, and by the end, you got a guy saying, bring it on if that's what suits you. If that's what turns you on, bring it on. He says, I will, Susan. My brother gets off work. You need your brother? Well, he's got the car. (laughs) But when an accusation is made, when something, some wrong has been levied against the other, the indigenous thing, the native thing, the natural thing, the true thing, the authentic thing, the thing that just comes to people quite ordinarily is to say, you're going to pay. I'm not paying. You're going to pay. Jesus, in this story that he gives us that Timmy just read, gives us a story that says that in the end, there are ultimately two kind of postures you can take in the world. And if you think about a posture, you may have seen some of these social science things. You may have read some listicle on the Internet, or you may have seen some science show where they do life hacks, and they tell you about power posing. Have you seen power posing? This lady at Harvard University wrote a story about power posing. She's trying to help you become your best self, to be more self-possessed and confident. When you go into an interview, most people go into an interview, they're a little uncertain. They're a little nervous. So they sit in the waiting room and they, their posture, they, their shoulders bend in. They slump. They, they sit closed in together. They feel timid. And they've discovered your body affects your emotions. We, Christians have known this a long time. And you said so if you it shows these power poses. I don't know with all the power poses. You know, you're like flex for a minute, and and all of a sudden you're you know you get you get this feeling of vibrancy, like you can take the world. And they've they've recognized all you got to do is go to a Friday night high school football game. You see guys that weigh 122 pounds, and they power pose before the game. Any any athlete power poses. You see 122 pounders like this. <laughs> Their biceps can't be pressed down and their traps are so wide, they can't get their arms down. They're preening around like, a, like that. They're 122 pounds. You could snap them like a matchstick. But they are big because they're about to go into battle. They bow up, chest out, shoulders back. Your pose, your posture affects so much about how you approach the world. And Jesus is telling us in the story, there are really two significant postures. There's the one that comes very naturally to almost everybody from the history of time. And that's the posture of payback. And then there is this other one that doesn't come naturally to almost anyone except for God himself and the people who get latched into his life. And that's called a posture of pity or a posture of mercy. And we're going to talk about those a little bit, but first we're going to work backwards and we're going to look at this posture of payback. Jesus is telling a story. Your NIVs might call it the parable of the unmerciful servant or the parable of the unforgiving servant. And the whole thing is kicked off by Peter coming to him and saying, Lord, thinking that he is being extreme, and overly charitable in the rabbinic world, where after three times of forgiving somebody, you've done your duty. Fourth time, they're out. 
Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven, but seven seventies. And of course, he doesn't mean 490 times. Uh, 491, you're good. Forget about it. He's saying, don't bother counting. And commentators will tell us it's very likely that early on in the scriptures, you know, the first, the first thing that happened when, when men and women decided they wanted to be God instead of being God's servants is they saw, their selves, they saw themselves, they were filled with shame, they got kicked out of the garden, and the first thing that happened, sibling rivalry, envy, revenge. And one of Cain's descendants, Lamech, there's a name for you. If you want a beastly name for your new son, don't name anybody Lamech, because he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, history doesn't treat him well. Here's what it's said about him. He says to his wife, I killed a man for injuring me, a young man who did me harm. And he speaks about anybody who hurts him, he's going to revenge them. Seven seventies. My life is going to be about revenge, says Lamech. Anybody touches me? If anybody tries to lay a hammer on me, I'm going to blow him up with a nuclear missile. And Jesus is saying, the history of humanity is the history of revenge. My people, who are reflecting me in the world, are going to have a posture of pity. Where we're not going to show revenge, we're going to show mercy for as long as Lamech said he was going to show revenge. And so Jesus proceeds then to tell this story and illustrates this kind of payback posture. You just heard it read, I'm going to recite it very quickly. So you get the gist of this. It's a very easy story in some ways to understand. It's just hard to get in your bones and practice. A king was going to settle accounts in a certain kingdom. So he called all his books in. He noticed that he had an outstanding loan, an outstanding debt to one of his uh, satraps or servants in this oriental kingdom. So he calls him in, and he owes him approximately one gazillion dollars, to be precise. So he says, I want you to pay me what you owe me right now. And the man says to him, to his king, I don't have it. And he says, okay, then fine. I will sell you and your wife and your kids and everything you own into slavery. The man, largely understandably, doesn't like this. He throws himself at the king's feet. He begs him and he says, please have mercy on me. I will repay back. I will repay everything. And the king took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. That's a substantial way of saying The king took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Fairly remarkable thing. The king ignored his promise to repay, which was a ridiculous promise. It was impossible for him to repay. And then the next thing that happens, it says five minutes later, this servant who had just had pity taken on him, had his debt canceled, and had been released to go, Five minutes later, he saw a dude who had borrowed money previously from him to buy a Coke and a pizza. A little more than that. But he went to the man and he said, pay me back what you owe me. He said, I don't have it, I will though. And he starts to strangle him. He starts to strangle. The man who's just received mercy is strangling a dude who owes him a few bucks. And the man says, have pity on me. 
This should be causing something to stir around in his mind, in his memory. Have pity on me. I'll pay back everything. And the guy doesn't like that answer. So he commands that he be sent to jail till he should pay back the last penny. The servants don't like this. They hear about it. They're astonished. They're troubled. They tell the king. The king is hotter than a fiery cracker to hear about this, as one man told me one time. And the king says, you're wicked. You should have shown mercy like I showed mercy to you. Now you're going to be tortured till you can pay the last little bit. And Jesus said, this is how my Father in Heaven is going to treat you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. The payback posture, the natural response when someone does you wrong, when someone owes you, is this payback posture. And the first thing about it that you see is that someone else is always going to need to pay. If you're in this state of mind, and we can all slip into it, Christians slip into it, natural people, just, it's just natural for us. Someone else is always going to need to pay, and you never think you need to. You notice this man comes to a guy who owes him a few bucks after just being released from a great debt, and he starts to strangle him, and he says, pay me back what you owe me. You live by this very strict sense of justice, and it's you against the world. Pay me back what you owe me. You ever find yourself punishing people who've worked on your house, people who, a waitress who was flustered, and you say, I'm not going to give her a tip. She's already making $2.32 an hour. She brought my eggs runny. I asked for them scrambled. I'm going to give her a 13.2% tip. That's it. Not a penny more. You find yourself punishing people wanting to pay them back, wanting to get back at them. Well, this is natural. And Jesus says, if left unattended, it'll ruin you. Someone else always needs to pay in this payback posture. The other thing is the debts, the sins, the wrongs of other people toward you are always, when you're in payback posture, they are always bigger than your own. And they're always bigger than your sense of the mercy of God. When you're in this payback posture, when you're in your natural state, when, you're, when you've forgotten God, when you're not like Joseph who says, am I in the place of God? But you're thinking, I am God. Then you think that everything that happens is a calculated insult to you. And whatever happens to you is always way, way worse than anything you ever do. And it's also way, way bigger than any mercy that God has ever shown to you. If you find somebody doing this, if you find that you're strangling your neighbor, maybe hopefully not literally, don't literally, if you're strangling your neighbor, if you're so injured and hurt and wounded and angry and wanting to make somebody pay for what they've done to you, make sure that God's vision, that God has not been strangled from your vision. Make sure that God hasn't just been erased from the picture because usually that is what has happened. You're forgetting how God has treated you. And see, one of the reasons that Jesus gives these threats, you know, I've said it many times about the threats of God. When Jesus says things like, if you don't forgive your neighbor, he says this after the Lord's Prayer, then your father won't forgive you. 
This is how it will be. You'll be thrown in and tortured till you pay the last cent if you don't forgive your brother from the heart. When Jesus says this stuff, it's not that he's hoping to torture you. He's hoping it will be like lightning out in the front yard that tells you, I had better run in. He's hoping like all good parents who threaten their kids that they won't have to carry out the threat. The threat is a warning. The threat is meant to move you to respond. If you boys don't hustle, you're going to have to do 100 up-downs. The coach, well, the coach probably does want you to have to do 100 up-downs, but probably he's saying it so you'll hustle and not do 100 up-downs. It's football season. We have to throw something like that in. But Jesus threatens you this way because he wants you to live free. The person who goes around strangling other people, demanding payback, is a miserable person. The anger that comes out at others because of their wounds to you are festering inside of you. It's an awful way to live. Some of you know this very personally. Anne Lamott once said, not forgiving someone else, holding a grudge, is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Three, two, one. It's like drinking rat poison yourself. Do not do this. It's like drinking rat poison, holding on to a grudge. It's drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. This is very complicated. The rat isn't drinking the poison. You're drinking the poison. It's stupid, in other words, is what she's saying. It eats you up. It devours you from the inside. Jesus would have you free. See, the people who live with a posture of pity, they recognize that the whole universe is filled with God's pity. That as a father has compassion on his children, so God pities his children. The earth is full, says the Psalms, of his unfailing love. His mercies are new every morning. He's the God of compassion and the father of mercies. When you live and breathe in that air, there's so much that just doesn't seem like a big deal to you anymore. Everything isn't a calculated insult about you because, well, one thing, you're not the center of the universe. Two, you recognize that so much good comes into your life, not because you were so smart, because your hair was so good, because your parents were so fancy, because you had such a good resume. So much good comes into your life because your God is so much good. And he just treats people better than their sins deserve. That's why the psalmist says, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name, for praise the Lord, and forget not all his benefits, who heals all your diseases and forgives all your sins and redeems your life from the pit, satisfies your desires with good things. He does not harbor his anger forever. He does not repay us as our sins deserve. This is characteristic of God. A person in payback doesn't believe that for a second. And so they become filled with their own poison, the poison of their own grudge, the poison of their own resentment, the poison of the pressure to have to pay back everybody who's wronged them, have to get them back. And they wind up trusting no one. In Marilyn Robinson's new novel, Lila, Lila's this, this lady who's, who's grown up without a family. And she tells John Ames, this man who becomes her husband, early on she says this, to this old pastor who's 70 years old, She says, I don't trust no one. And John Ames says to her, well, then it's no wonder you're so tired. A person in a posture of payback has to be vigilant 
Because somebody's always about to get what's yours. Somebody's always about to wrong you. And you better be watching because nobody else is. You're in the place of God. Nobody else is watching. The whole world's on your shoulders. No one else is watching. No one else is going to take care of you. No one else is going to make sure justice is going to happen. No one else is there. And so you're exhausted because you trust no one. Jesus wants you to be free from that exhaustion. He wants you to be free from the stranglehold that blinds God from your eyes and makes you want to strangle your neighbor. The other thing that a payback posture has, and if you remember this, write this down because you can sound really smart in a meeting sometime. People in this payback posture commit what's called the fundamental attribution error. Oh, yeah. You know all about this, right? It'll be on the SATs, kid. Kids. No, the fundamental attribution error is a fancy sort of social science way of saying this. Here's what happens. This, this is the kind of thing we all do, especially when in this payback mode, is what you do is when someone does you wrong or someone creates a mistake, you always assume that the reasons for that are some defect in their character, some uh, rascaliness, some sinister motive, that th- that's the reason why they're doing it. When you do the same thing, it's always because of some kind of external circumstance. It has nothing to do with your character. So, for instance, you got a meeting in the morning, first thing in the morning, business meeting, and there old Larry is coming late to the meeting again, and under your breath you're saying, oh, Larry... Larry doesn't care about the team. Larry doesn't care about anybody but himself. He doesn't care about being on time. He's so inconsiderate. He doesn't care if we fail. He's not committed to the team. And tomorrow, you happen to be late. But when you're late, your baby threw up on you when you were about to walk out the door. And then there was all this traffic. And then you had to deliver a baby on the side of the road for a pedestrian. And you've never done that before. It's all perfectly explainable. There was no character issue for your tardiness like Larry's. See, we do this all the time. It's just this, this thing where you just assume the worst things about other people and you're in this payback mode. You're, it's you against the world because you're God. You're in the place of God. There is no God for you in payback. You've forgotten about him altogether. And so you're, you're, you're stuck analyzing everybody else's motives. What's, what's underneath why they're doing what they're doing? You know, I was listening the other day, unfortunately. These things are imposed on me, but I was listening the other day. See if you understand this lyric. Band-aids don't fix bullet holes. You say sorry just for show. I'm ashamed that I know this. That is Taylor Swift. I looked it up on the interwebs to make sure. But as I've heard Taylor Swift sing songs, it strikes me that every single one of her songs is is a fundamental attribution error. But... And you sure don't want to be her friend, because if you are, you will be harassed at some point if you let her down publicly, and she'll make a lot of money off of it. But it's just interesting to me to hear her say, you say sorry just for showing my impulse is to say, Taylor, but Taylor, how do you know? How do you know they say sorry just for show? How do you know why they're saying sorry? I don't even know who she's talking about. I don't know what she means when she says band-aids don't fix bullets. Well, I know what she means, but I don't. I don't presume she actually has any bullet holes, but it's about Katie Perry. Katy Perry, right? Okay, I actually intuited this. We need to talk, Scott. <laughs> no, I've read this. I've actually read this. I just wasn't going to say anything about it. Okay, 
You say sorry just for show. Now, I think, have you ever done this with somebody? Somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, I just want to tell you I'm sorry. And you say, you're not sorry. How do you know? Don't say that to anybody. You don't know if they're sorry or not. It isn't for you. That's for God. He's the one who has the peering eyes, who looks down in the hearts of men to see if any who follow God. He's the one who pierces through and can see the secret movements of the heart. You are not able to do this. If you're in a payback posture, you'll never give anybody any credit for anything. You'll always assume a sinister motive for whatever they're doing. You'll always assume when they say they're sorry, they don't mean it. You just won't be able to give them credit. It's a fundamental attribution error. And the last thing in this, payback posture. The other thing that happens when you're in this payback posture is that you might, if you're someone who's pretty conflict-averse, you might say you've released somebody from their debts. But you might actually be fake erasing their debt. Hopefully some of you still watch Seinfeld. Probably not. But there's one scene where Elaine is sitting in the doctor's office, and she's sitting there by herself, and her file happens to be there. So she opens the file, and she reads, great, much, to her, much to her consternation, a note that says, patient was difficult during her visit in January of 1992. Well, the doctor comes in and says, well, how are you feeling today? And she goes, uh, well, doctor... Um, I noticed in my file that the last doc- the doctor wrote back in January '92 that I was difficult in my visit. I can remember that visit with perfect clarity. You see, what had happened was I came in that morning and I had purposely worn a tank top. And the nurse asked me if I would put on a gown. Well, I purposely wore a tank top because she was y'all were gonna have to look at a mole, and so the skin would be exposed. And you know, the the, the gowns are made of paper, and I just didn't want to have to put one on. And the doctor goes, oh, don't worry about that. Why don't we just see if we can erase it? And so he takes the pen and pencil in a very patronizing way. and He puts the eraser to the thing and scrubs it against the paper for a minute. And he goes, there. And Elaine says, but it was in pen. You fake erased. You fake erased. You just pretended to erase. There's a way for the conflict averse among us to say or to imagine that we've let somebody off the hook or that we're not going to pay somebody back for what they've done to us. We're going to release them from their debts. And to their face, we'll say that. And then you'll gossip about them. You'll, keep, you'll tell everybody you know what they did. You're paying them back. You'll post blogs about it on your Twitter space account or your Insta book, Graham. You'll put stuff online about them. You will perhaps try to make them make you. You'll try to make them feel cold and iced out when you see them. If you're a conflict averse person, some of the time when you're letting somebody off the hook, you may not be letting off the hook at all. When you're in this payback posture, you may just be fake erasing. I've erased your debt, but not really. I'm just going to make you pay in a lot of suspicious and sneaky ways. This is the payback posture. The posture of pity, though, the one that Jesus calls us to, the one that he means for us to hear the story about this servant and say, oh, no, 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 I want to be the person who responds to the large-heartedness of the king who says you have a debt that you can never repay. A person in this posture of pity is always going to be prepared to pay for the misdeeds of another. They're going to realize this is my aspiration. When someone does wrong against me, I'm not going to pay them back. 
I'm going to have to pay for it in some way. Do you realize that's what happens in the story with the king? Some of you financial experts, just imagine, let's make it something more manageable. You lend somebody $5,000 if you have that. About half of you don't. You lend somebody $5,000 and they don't pay you back. And you say, you know what? Our relationship's getting weird. Just forget about it. Just forget about it. Does the $5,000 disappear? Did somebody actually pay for the $5,000? Yes, they did. The person who lent the money and forgave the debt still paid for the $5,000 because they're out $5,000. I'm a mathematical whiz. And if you're a king and you lend a huge amount of money to somebody and they owe you and you say you don't have to pay me back, you're out the money. The king paid for the forgiveness. The debt didn't just disappear. When when the company writes something off, yes, on paper it's painless, but the money got absorbed. It was a punch in the gut, and they took it. Anytime you are called upon to show the mercy of God in this posture of pity, then you are going to have to pay the debt of the other. The payback will happen by you paying for what they did wrong to you. In this pity of posture also, you're always aspiring to keep the sins and debts of others in the right perspective. Which is to say, if somebody else's, what they've done to you becomes so unimaginable to you, and I'm talking mainly here about the, the, the sort of rub and aggravation of daily life. I should say this, there's a there's, there's some of you in here who have been so wounded and so aggravated, so, so violated in some drastic way. You've been abused in some way. You've been, if, there's some, some of the things I'm saying here I don't think probably apply in your situation. You need to talk to somebody. I don't want to aggravate a woe here. Some of you have deep, dark, awful secrets of things that people have done to you. You need to talk to somebody about that. Figure out what forgiveness means in this case and what this means for you. I'm talking about your sort of Daily stuff that we all deal with here. But when the sins of others get so big that you can't see God anymore, for the person in the posture of pity, what you're going to do is you're going to say, oh no, something's awry, and you're going to have to go back to God. And you're going to have to reacquaint yourself with this reality that I have a relationship with God, that I have the hope of eternal life, not because of anything other than the fact that he has said, here's your incalculable debt, and I'm hurling it into the depths of the sea. I'm absorbing the cost myself with the cost of my son. It helps you to be merciful to others to realize that you can do the same exact things. There's no sin alien to you. There's nothing that anybody else does that you couldn't also do. You know, my, one of these favorite things I say about C.S. Lewis is the time when he was walking down the road and he gave money to a panhandler and one of his friends contemptuously said, Don't you know? You just gave him that money. He's just going to use it for drink. And C.S. Lewis says, Well, that's all I was going to use it for too. <laughs> Get off your high horse. And that's what a person of mercy a person who understands God's compassion is going to do when they see somebody sin, they're going to say, man, I could have done that same thing. Given the same circumstances, I might have done the same exact thing. Who knows what I would have done in the same circumstances as they are? Instead of, I would never have done that. See, in the payback posture, see, the internet loves the payback posture. 
Because without facing anybody, the internet outrage gods can enforce their fury on Cecil the Lion Killers, on stupid boys at universities in Texas who write dumb things. You can pounce on anybody who does anything foolish and destroy them and feel in the process so alive with your righteousness, with your pretend righteousness. But the person who has a pity posture, a posture of pity is going to recognize, boy, I could have written if I... In a wrong state of mind, I could have said, I say all kinds of stupid things. I just, by God's mercy, didn't put it on the internet. I'm running out of time. We'll skip some stuff. Last thing here. You also aspire, when you're in this posture of pity, you aspire to true debt cancellation. Which means it's not fake erasing, it means you're actually thinking through, praying toward, working with God. To say, how, how can I make sure this person, like Joseph said to his brothers, is reassured that I'm forgiving? That nothing is, I'm not holding this against them. By deciding, I'm not going to keep bringing it up when I've forgiven them. I'm not going to talk about it to everybody. I'm going to maybe do actions that communicate to them. I had a friend this summer, a good, dear friend, that I angered. Woo! I made him mad. Very mad. He felt very hurt by me. And he was wrong, but... Just kind of... <laughs> I understood why he was hurt. He took it way different. We, we did have a misunderstanding. These things happen. But one of the most beautiful things about this whole situation was very upsetting to me. It was very upsetting to him. Created a pit in my stomach for a good long while. At one point, he said, we'll, we'll be okay. Nothing, everything's going to go on as before. He was, he, was, he was communicating his forgiveness to me. And you know what he did that was so touching to me? Soon after he said that, still while the, the heat was high, as there was an opportunity that we need, both needed to participate in, and he said, hey, you want to come with me to go do this thing with this guy? He invited me a man who he thought had betrayed him, who had wronged him, he invited me to come do something with him. And I was moved by this because I thought that's exactly what forgiveness does. He was reassuring me, buddy, we're still friends. Things are going to go on as before. You think about this for someone who's wronged you, how can you reassure them that they actually are forgiven? How can you serve them in some ways to show that you have this posture of pity. I close with these couple of clarifications. Because this posture of pity is a very important thing. It only happens by being connected to God. But I want to say something. I've said this probably in 30 different ways in the last few months. But I'm going to say it again. What Jesus teaches here reminds us yet again, over and against the anthropology of our culture, which is the way our people in our world right now think about people is this. Whatever you happen to believe, whatever you happen to feel inside, whatever you happen to want, these are your true self. 
and you are the maker and former and shaper of yourself, and your goal is to shape yourself and form yourself against the world, okay, at the world, for the world maybe. Well, what Jesus says here is, you can't ever just be true to yourself. If you follow that path, it will end in terror. Because the posture of payback is indigenous and true and authentic about every self here. You only have to watch your siblings or your children. Think back to when you were a kid or watch little kids. Watch little kids in the back seat of a trip. One kid crosses the imaginary line. Well, then, of course, the payment for crossing the imaginary line is a hit in the arm. And, of course, the payment for a hit in the arm is a hit in the leg. And, of course, the payment for a hit in the leg is a bite in the hand. And, of course, the payment for biting the hand is pouring coke on their head. I don't know what. Things escalate. Did anybody teach any kids anywhere how to revenge themselves, avenge themselves? No. It's natural. There are things about yourself, if you obey it to its logical conclusion, if you follow your heart, you'll follow your heart right to hell. Whoa. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiveness is not natural. Revenge is natural. If you do what is natural, if you do not listen to Jesus, he says, God won't forgive you. And of course what he means is, He's not even saying if you forgive, then God will like you and then he'll forgive you back. He's saying if you're the kind of person who's connected to the God of mercy and has received so much mercy, you're going to live in this economy. It will be inconceivable to you to live in a spirit of unforgiveness. It is always evident where you've been feasting. I saw a little kid on an on a AFV type show. He had sprinkles on his face. Red confection sprinkles. Green and red and blue. These things do not naturally appear on any face. He had crumbs on his shirt. His mom said, Jimmy, have you been eating the cookies? No. No, he said as sprinkles jiggled on his face. She kept asking him. No. See, no matter what his mouth said, she could tell where he'd been feasting. He'd been eating sprinkled cookies. And Jesus says, if you've been, if you've been connected to the one who says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you've been connected to the one who cried out forgiveness for those who were killing him, who wept over the city of Jerusalem, who who moved Jonah to, to call the Ninevites to compassion this great city of people who didn't know the right hand from the left. If you're the one who, if you're connected to him, it will be clear where you've been feasting. If you're living in God's economy, mercy is going to stream out of you. And when it doesn't, you're going to run back and get reoxygenated with God's mercy. So you can breathe out mercy air again and get rubbed into your bones. Boy, there's so much to say, and I'm not going to... Uh, this has to be it. you got a choice. Posture of payback. Posture of pity. The natural course of things is just to pay people back. Steve Brown used to tell us this. When I was a boy, a teenage boy, doing the kinds of things that teenage boys sometimes do, and we got caught. These are other teenage boys from another era, Kaler. 
and they, we got caught. And my friends would say, when we get home, my dad is going to kill me. And Steve, in his pithy and glib-tongued way, would say, when I get home, my dad is going to love me. And that will be a lot worse. There is something in us that wants to be clobbered for what we've done wrong. And Jesus says, here's what the king will do. The king has let his son be clobbered so that you can receive a love, the most love when you deserve it least. It will destroy the pride that makes you want to pay people back. It will open up your heart to make it large like God so you can distribute the very pity that God has shown to you. I hope we'll all adopt constant dependence on Christ, a posture of pity and not of payback. Amen.